We launched a new theme for 2023 last week, New Year's Day. And our theme is uh, these simple words that you see up on the screen. Three words, as you go. Uh, they are taken from the ISV's translation of the opening uh, words of Matthew chapter 28, 19. We'll look at that closer here in just a second. But last week in our introductory lesson, uh, we, we went back to a phrase popularized by Stephen Covey a long time ago, who wrote the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, wrote a book entitled uh, Keeping the Main Thing the Main Thing. First Things First is the actual title of it. But in that book, he popularized a phrase about all of us about, you know, how do you stay focused on what you need to stay focused on? And he said, it's real simple. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that can never be truer than in the church today as we start the year 2023. And so we're going to be looking more particularly at that phrase that you see there in front of you. This is from the ISV translation, one of the few that gets it right Matthew 28, verse 19, doesn't begin with the command, go. That's not how it begins. Nearly every English translation translates that way. But the, but the phrase there in the Greek's not an imperative. It's a participle, and it's well translated by this phrase, therefore, as you go. It's not about sending missionaries out into the world as much as it is sending us as missionaries out into the world every day that we live. And so we're going to be focusing this year on this theme. Therefore, as you go, disciple people. Now, we're going to lay the foundation by going back into the Old Testament. And for the next four weeks, we're going to do a series entitled, Don't Forget Your Mission, Lessons from the Prophet Jonah. I want to ask Brent Fuquay to come on up. Brent, if you would. Tony said a few moments ago in the welcome, Les is going to tell you a couple of Mississippi fish stories. They're not Mississippi fish stories. I wish they were. We'll hear a Mississippi fish story later. But we are going to talk a couple of fish stories. And, and Brent here is one of our premier fishermen in the Hendersonville Church of Christ. Just to prove it, Brent, just out of curiosity, we are eight days into 2023. How many days so far this year have you fished? Seven. All right. There's still, today's still left. You still got today left. So uh, he will wet a hook, I promise you, before today is over. Brent, uh, he and Renee sing on our praise team and uh, I recently asked him, I need your best fish story, okay? Now, that's where Tony said, you can believe it or not, right? And so, Brent, you told me a story that as soon as you told me, I thought, we've got to share this with the church. So, tell me this incredible fish story of yours. Okay. So, this is about 30 years ago, and I'm fishing on some private property at, uh, in the middle of the summer, so... If you don't know, in the summertime, big worms catch big fish. So I'm fishing a big worm. I throw it out there, and I've already caught several, so I probably needed to retie my knot, but I didn't. So fish takes my worm. He runs off with it. I set the hook, and I fight him for a minute, and he breaks my line. So I was, like, disappointed. So, But I had my tackle box with me, so I sit down, and I put on a new weight, put on a new hook, 
thread a new worm on the hook, and I throw it right back out there in the, pretty much the same spot where I was before. Caught another fish. I mean, the very next cast, caught another fish. Reeled him in. Was taking the hook out of his mouth. I got my hands on him this time. I was taking the hook out of his mouth, and while I'm looking in his mouth, way down in the back of his throat, I see something. So I grab a pair of pliers, and I reach down in there. I pulled out that worm <laughs> that I had lost before. So <laughs> caught the same fish twice on back-to-back casts and got my worm back. And got your worm back. <laughs> Brother, I, I thought, wow, because today we're going to reverse the story as we see God lose a cast and then re-catch him. So thank you, Brent, for sharing that. I, I tell you, when he... When he told me that story, I thought, wow, here's a guy who never gives up. And not only that, he goes back to get the lures or the worms that he's lost before. He's like, you better not mess with me. All right, we are in the book of Jonah, a little four-chapter book in the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets that most of us grow up and, and perhaps we remember it most from vacation Bible school. Who did, who did, who did, who did, who did swallow Joan, Joan, Jonah? Blake, you ever lead that one? You know, grew up singing that song. And, and so it, it's one that, uh, a story that even people who may not be believers in Jesus have probably heard, at, heard of at some point in time in their life. But I want us to look at the story, I think maybe in a way you've never looked at it before, because there's actually some things going on in these four little chapters that are incredibly pertinent to what we're talking about this year. Now, I want to begin, first of all, by laying some some background uh, with a couple of questions. Question number one, why did God choose Israel? Jonah is a prophet of Israel. Okay, that's the first thing you need to remember. He is a prophet God has called to speak to his people Israel. And so you've got a bigger question. Why did God choose Israel? If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is explaining as he's giving his farewell address to Israel. Why did God choose you? And I want you to notice the language up here. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. It's not because of your size. In fact, he goes on and says, you're the fewest of all peoples. But look at what he does say, because that's so important. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath, he swore to his ancestors. Okay? To your ancestors. God swore something to your ancestors. To Abraham. To Isaac. To Jacob. That is why God chose you. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 12, to the promise made to Abraham, right, off, right in the beginning of, of kind of God's redemptive plan for mankind, he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. In fact, here we are some 4,000 years later talking about Abraham. I'm going to bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse. But look at the last line. Last line is the most important. Because you see, if you are a child of God, You are in the last line of this phrase. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God, in Galatians chapter 3, speaking through Paul, says it's through Abraham's seed, singular, that God worked out his plan to redeem and reconcile mankind to himself. Of course, 
and his name is Jesus. But then there's a second reason God chose Israel. Going back to Deuteronomy, this time chapter 4, he's urging Israel to keep the commandments. I mean, you've got the second giving of the Ten Commandments here in the next chapter. And he says, I need you to observe carefully because if you do, this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. In other words, I need you to be an example to the rest of the nations of the earth. And if you'll keep my commandments, if you'll deserve my covenant, I will bless you and look at what the other nations will say. They'll hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Put real simple, God wanted Israel to be an example to the nations of what he would do to anybody who followed him. If you turn in your Bible just a few pages over to 1 Kings, you have this being fulfilled for just a brief, and when I say brief, I mean brief period of time. David's united the kingdom. He's really got it established. He dies, his son Solomon comes to the throne. Why is this man to ever live? And and Solomon would lead Israel through kind of the pinnacle of her existence. She would become, under Solomon's rule, for a brief period of time, the most powerful nation on earth. Queen of Sheba hears about it, way down in in North Africa. And she travels all the way up to, to meet this king who is so wise. And look at her report. The report I heard in my own country about your achievements, your wisdom, it's true. Wow, indeed, not even half's been told. In wisdom and wealth, you far, you far exceeded everything I heard. And then look at what it says. How happy your people must be. Praise be to Yahweh, your God. Now, I've taken a liberty today of replacing the, the phrase the Lord with the name of God, Yahweh. Now, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. But because of sensitivities to the name of God, most English translations substitute the Lord. If you want to know more details, ask Brother Rodney. He can explain that whole process. But the name of God as Israel's God is going to be important in the book of Jonah. And so I've taken the liberty in the NIV to replace the Lord with Yahweh, God's name. But notice, praise be to Yahweh your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Now, like I said, just a short time, Solomon would marry way too many women. He would, be t- he would build temples to their gods, many from foreign countries. His heart would be taken away from the Lord. And by the end of his reign, God had already made the decision, I am going to divide the kingdom up. Rehoboam, his son, would only get two tribes. The others would be given to another by the name of Jeroboam. And the kingdom of Israel split. And unfortunately, a sad story ensued. Now, that's around 950, 975 B.C., Let's go down to 790 to 750-ish, okay? I like that phrase, ish, there, because we don't know exactly when. But the king who's on the throne in Israel now is a king by the name of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam I was the first of the kings. He was the one who split the kingdom from Rehoboam, okay? Some almost 200 years uh, earlier. 
And so now Jeroboam II is on the throne and you find out about him and what's going on in some of the other prophets because he's leading Israel, but he's leading Israel the wrong direction. He's wicked just like the rest of the kings of Israel are. Amos says, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. And then he begins to testify about what Israel is doing wrong and the punishment God's going to bring on her. You read the same thing in Hosea. Hosea was sent to the northern kingdom of Israel. And and Hosea's whole life was a parable of just how bad Israel had forsaken her God. And then the third prophet is Jonah. Jonah is sent to Israel as well, but very differently. This is what's fascinating about Jonah. Here's the introduction. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, becomes king in Samaria. Samaria is the capital of Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, his namesake, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. In other words, Jeroboam II comes to the throne and he's horrible. He's absolutely horrible. Except God steps in and says to Jonah, but I still love them. And even though he is as sinful as his namesake, I'm going to use him, even in his wickedness, to accomplish my purposes. Look at the introduction to Jonah. He was the one, Jeroboam, who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of Yahweh. The God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath, Hefer. I don't know, is heifer, heifer? In Mississippi, we'd call it a heifer, but then again. <laughs> right, Tony? I mean, uh, you know, that's a, that's a heifer, but probably heifer here. But notice that he starts doing good things, and all of this is in fulfillment of what Jonah had predicted would happen. And then look at the very next statement. The Lord had had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them because of how wicked they had become. And since the Lord had not said yet that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, eventually they're going to go and disappear. But he had not said that yet. And so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. That's weird. You're going to save Israel through an incredibly wicked king. Why? Because I still love her. I promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and I still love her. And Jonah, I want you to tell Jeroboam that. And so here's Jeroboam. We don't know the details, but here he is prophesying to Israel, God's going to bless us. God's going to bless us through our king, Jeroboam. God is going to restore our borders. We're going to be, you know, uh, 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 people who are affluent. It's going to be good. God is blessing us through Jeroboam the second. Didn't call him Jeroboam the second, but he was. And you're like, it's a strange job for a prophet. Yeah, that's exactly a strange job. Now, let's go 
to our, our next question here. But let me mention this first. Jonah is the only patriotic, pro-Israel prophet of the northern kingdom. I mean, when you turn to Hosea and you turn to Amos and you turn to any others, in fact, all the prophets who prophesied to the north were all, God wants you to repent, you better repent. If you don't repent, God's going to destroy you, you're terrible, you need to get your act together. Elijah's like, I'm the only one left who worships the Lord. And along comes Jonah. And Jonah's like, let's sing the national anthem of Israel. Isn't it great to be an Israelite? I mean, God, in spite of our sins, is still blessing us. And he's working through Jeroboam. Isn't that great? We're so glad to have him as king. I mean, here is a patriotic, pro-Israel prophet prophesying for God, even though Israel is incredibly wicked. Now, second question. Who's Israel's number one threat during Jonah's lifetime? Now, if I were to ask you right now, who is America's number one threat of all the other nations of the earth? Pick someone out in your mind. How many of you would pick Russia? Anybody pick Russia? Few? How many would pick China? Boy, isn't that amazing how times have changed? I mean, during the Cold War, we were hiding under, under deaths because we thought Russia might attack. And now it's China. All right, this one I think probably is the worst. How many of y'all think Mississippi? My, my, my college professor used to say, we've got several states and four countries represented. We've got Zambia, we've got France, we've got Mexico, and then Brother Chapman's from Mississippi. Thank you, Brother Platt. So who was the threat to Israel? And the answer was a country called Assyria. Assyria was the ultimate powerhouse of the day. Located in what is today modern-day Iraq, part of of Syria. Uh, it, it was a nation based in the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, and it was powerful, and it was cruel. You go back and you look at some of the reliefs that the Assyrians carved, and you would just be shocked at the brutality of this people. I mean, it was said that they would level whole cities, and they would literally litter the, uh, the land uh, uh, side or the uh, countryside with dead bodies. I mean, they didn't care. And, and this is a later map showing them eventually going all the way down into Egypt. They haven't gotten quite that far yet, but they're a threat to Israel. And Jonah knows it. And so when Jonah's talking about God's chosen Jeroboam, and Jeroboam's going to protect us, and God's going to, to work through Jeroboam to bring us, you know, peace and prosperity. I mean, he, his eye was on Assyria. And that is how we're introduced into the book. Begins real simple. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. That's the way it, all the way through the Old Testament, that's how God, God's word came to prophets. I mean, the word of the Lord came to Abram, to Samuel, to Solomon, to Isaiah, to Elijah, to Ezekiel, to Daniel. I mean, it always begins with that phraseology. And so for anyone reading this in the first century, they would say, yes, that's exactly how a prophet begins. But boy, the next verse is the one that catches you off guard. It's the one that just stuns you. Now, again, we've read it so many times, that, that, that crazy slap-in-your-face sense you get, we've lost a lot of it. Jonah would not have. 
And so the Lord speaks to him and says, go to the great city of Nineveh, one of the great cities of Assyria. Now, at one time it was the capital. There's debate, was it a capital in Jonah's day? Because different emperors would literally move their capitals around at that time throughout Assyria. But Assyria was a great city regardless. And and so the Lord says to him, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, that part that says this wickedness has come up before me, Jonah would have got up and said, Woohoo! Yes! About time. You're going to finally, God, take them out. The part he didn't like was that first part. I need you to go and preach against them. Because Jonah knew that to preach against someone is to warn them that unless they repent, terrible things are going to happen, and Jonah didn't want them repenting. They're the enemy of Israel. They need to be destroyed. They don't need to repent. And so when that word of the Lord came to Jonah, Jonah did something that, as far as I, I can't find anybody else in the Bible that did it. Jonah, who is a prophet of God, receives his orders, and he looks at God and says, no. No. I mean, can you imagine when you were a, an adolescent, I don't know how you were raised, but let me just tell you that I was raised with a dad who believed in following the rules. And so when dad said to us at the house, me and my brothers, when I get back, that yard needs to be mowed. Guess what? That yard was mowed. And, and, and dad would oftentimes, when we misbehaved at night, would say, boys, do I need to come in there? To which you never said, yes. I promise you, you didn't, I didn't say that ever. I wanted to. I wanted to say, come on, Dad. We're ready for you. No, no. I remember when my dad was suffering from Alzheimer's, mid-60s. Me and my brother were both, you know, had kids at the time, married. And I remember us reminiscing one time and Dad looking at us two, weighing about 150 pounds, and Dad said, I could still take both of you. And I smiled and looked at my brother, and he smiled and looked at me, and we said, we're pretty sure you could, Dad. But to say to God, no, that's what Jonah did. So Jonah goes down, leaves Israel, goes down to the Mediterranean Sea to a city, a little village called Joppa. It was a a port city. And he goes down there, and he, he buys a ticket. I mean, he buys a ride. Well... Before we talk about that, let's go back to the point that Jonah missed, which is God wants everyone saved, even wicked Assyrians. I mean, I think, I think that was the lesson that Jonah had forgotten, the mission that Jonah had lost. He knew it was there because he knew God would do it, but he didn't want it. And yet God wanted everyone saved. He told Peter, why is God not fulfilling his promise to send Jesus back? He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. He's wanting everyone to be saved. My dad used to say when I said, why has Jesus not come back? God wants at least one more. And who knows that that's not why he's waiting now. But for Jonah, Jonah didn't want any, not especially from Assyria. And so he goes down to Joppa, he gets on a boat, and he's planning on heading to Tarshish. I want you to notice the difference. Nineveh is about 550 miles to the northeast. Tarsus is almost due west, 2,500 miles. I thought 400 miles to the Canadian border was bad. 
I mean, here's a guy getting in a rickety boat, planning on sailing all the way to the edge of the eastern Atlantic. Had he lost his mind? And the answer is yes. I remember a statement John Micah asked many years ago. And John Micah, uh, he, he, he still reminds me of it occasionally. He said, Les, I'd like to stay at a church a long time. How do you stay at a church a long time? And I said, John Micah, you just don't do anything stupid. And John knows that's, that's one of the rules I used to give my boys all the time. Boys, if you just don't do anything stupid, you'll be all right. Jonah did something stupid. He ran from God. He thought he could flee from Yahweh. And, of course, we're reading this going... That is stupid. Yes, it was. But we do stupid things when we get stressed out. We do stupid things when things don't line up the way we want them to. And sometimes we allow other priorities to get in the way of what God's calling us to do. I mean, that's what what happened to Jonah. Here's a prophet of God, but unfortunately his patriotism for Israel is greater than his commitment to anything God might call him to do, especially preach to, of all people, the Ninevites. And of course, when I look at us, I think about, you know, what is it that we sometimes allow to bubble up to take control of our life instead of God taking control of our life? I mean, in America, don't we allow politics to do that? Did, did, by the way, did anybody watch the proceedings as they were trying to elect a Speaker of the House this last week? I, I stayed up to watch it. I mean, it was better than an elders meeting. I'm telling you. <laughs> right, Doc? It really was. I mean, it, and, and, and of course, when, when finally they said, we're getting together at 10 o'clock because we finally got this thing settled, and then all at once someone switched their vote. And they're sitting here and you're watching all of this talk there in the chamber. And one of the representatives is literally going after another representative with guys pulling him back. And I'm like, man alive. Y'all remember what we used to say about hockey games? I went to a fight one time and a hockey game broke out. We went to a fight and this session of Congress broke out. You know, politics will do strange things to you. I mean, you're ready to assault somebody right there on national television in the very center of our federal government. I think of families. This one's a little bit more painful. Of all the things that are precious to his family, it's at the very top of the list. But sometimes what happens to us is that we take our family and we move it right above our relationship to God. I think about conversations I've had with parents over the years of, of a mom one time who, who I said, I noticed your son's not participating in a lot of the youth activities. And she said, like, yeah, he's too busy with sports. And I'm like, well, I mean, you, you make sure he goes to school, right? Oh, yeah, I make sure he goes to school. You make sure he shows up to practice at ball, right? Oh, yeah, so make sure he shows up to practice at ball. But you're not going to make sure he's involved in youth activities. No, I'm letting him decide that. I mean, sometimes our priorities get out of order. Addictions, it's not just drugs or alcohol. It's sexual addictions. It's addictions to gambling. It's addictions to, to things like work. I mean, I know of people who say, I live to work. And my response is, no, I work to live, especially to try to serve my God. And so Jonah takes off, and notice what the Lord does. Then the Lord sent a great wind. That word great, and I've got it in parentheses here, is used 14 times in 48 verses. 48 verses in this little book. 
14 times the Hebrew word for great is used. The great city of Nineveh back in verse 2. That's an example of it here. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent, that word violent there is great. Same word that's used in the Hebrew. You're like, why the NIV not translate it great? I don't know. Right? And that's one of the things that frustrate me when they you know, mix these phrases up when they translate. But that violent storm is a great storm arose and the, and the ship is about to break up. And notice, all the sailors were afraid and each cried to his own God. I mean, you've got sailors from probably all over the Mediterranean on this boat and, and they worship different gods and now they're crying to their gods and they're throwing cargo over. Why? Because water's coming over the sides of the boat and they know we're fixing to go down. And boy, they're there like, what are we going to do? And, and, and finally, the captain goes down into the ship itself because guess where Jonah is? He is sound asleep down in the bottom of the boat. I mean, he is finally away from having to obey God and travel to Nineveh. He's not going to have to preach to the Assyrians. And boy, he is sound asleep. And the captain's like, you've got to wake up. We've prayed to our God. You prayed to your God. We have got to stop this storm or we're all going to die. And so finally, the sailors get together and they say, we've got to figure out who's causing this. And they cast lots. You know, it's kind of like rolling dice. And the lot fell to Jonah. And boy, when it fell to Jonah, they're all looking at him going, oh, no. What in the world have you done? And by the way, they start peppering him with questions. Tell us, who's responsible? You, someone you know? I mean, what's causing this? And what kind of work do you do? Who do you work for? And where did you come from? And what is your country? And from what people are you? They don't know who he is. And boy, they're just firing these shots at him. Now, here's the problem. Well, look at how he answers, and then you'll see the problem. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh. Again, that's why I replaced the Lord. Because you've got people here worshiping Baal. You've got people who are worshiping, you know, perhaps the gods of the Egyptians or the gods of the Phoenicians. You've got all these different gods being worshipped. And so Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship a God named Yahweh. And he's the God of heaven and then the one that is the problem who made the sea and the dry land. And for these sailors, they go into panic mode. I mean, the text, this terrified. That word terrified is a translation of a great fear came on them. So you got that word great again. And they're terrified and they look at him and said, what have you done? Now the reason they asked that is that when he got on the boat, they said, where are you heading? He said, I'm running away from my God, Yahweh. Now, they, they didn't know who Yahweh were. These, were. these were pagan sailors. And so he had already told them he was running from Yahweh. They didn't know what that meant. Now they know something is up. What have you done? And the sea's getting rougher. And I don't know if you've ever been deep sea fishing. I mean, I've been deep sea fishing where that boat is rocking back and forth and one moment the water's right at your face and the next moment you're way up in the air and you're just trying your best to keep your breakfast down. And that's what's going on with them. And they finally look at him and they said, okay, how do we, how do we calm down the sea that your God created? And Jonah's response is real simple. Throw me overboard. Yahweh's done this, throw me overboard. And their response is, uh-uh, uh-uh. 
and they try to row back, and, and they're trying to row, but the storm is just too great. They can see, perhaps, the shore, or they know which direction to go, but they're not even get close. And then notice what these pagan sailors, y'all, put those two words together. Look at what they do. Then they cried out to Yahweh. They've prayed to their gods, and their prayers have not been heard. And so they pray to Yahweh, and look at what they say. Please, Yahweh. Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Yahweh, have done as you've pleased. We are crediting you for what is going on. And please, if we throw this guy overboard, don't punish us for killing an innocent man. Sometimes unbelievers act more godly than those of us who profess to be godly. That's one of the realities. And that's one of the things we need to realize. I mean, you never know when people, whether they're people or faith or not, are not all at once going to say, you know what, it's time now to turn to God. How many of y'all, you know, would, would throw a man overboard? And yet that's exactly what they did. I mean, they pitched him in and then notice immediately what they did. The raging sea grew calm and at this, they now greatly fear, there's that word again, Yahweh. I don't know what gods they worship, but now look at what they do. They offer sacrifice to Yahweh. They make vows in the name of Yahweh. And that leads to probably the last of what we need to realize, and that is that sometimes God works in spite of us. I'm glad he does because I know my own weaknesses. But oftentimes, God is in the process of reconciling the world to himself. And God says, I would love to work through y'all. But if you're not open to it, I'll do it in spite of you. And I think that probably hurts God. But he's willing to do it if he has to. I remember Esther, when, when Esther was challenged by Mordecai to go in and plead on behalf of the Jews. Basically, Mordecai said, either you do it or God will raise up somebody else to do it. God's going to do what he wants to do. And we see that in this story. I think about just last week, the lesson I learned about the power, or the, our nation learned about the power of prayer. DeMar had been injured if you were watching Monday. How many of you were watching the game? So many of you were. Well, you're talking about shock. And you're talking about everybody on television not knowing what to say. And Amlets is literally pulling out of the football field at this moment. And the entire Buffalo Bills come together. I don't know how many of them were believers. I don't know how many of them worship God regularly. I know a lot of players that do, for which I'm so grateful. But the whole team came together on this occasion. Why? Because sometimes the only way you can get help is by looking up. And they bowed their heads and they prayed. Our country's been praying all week because of that. I mean, sometimes God works in spite of us. And Jonah's thrown overboard. And now God goes fishing. Right? God goes fishing. One of the greatest, in fact, the greatest fish story of all time. Now, as we bring our conclusions, our, our thoughts to a conclusion here... Each Sunday, we're going to leave with as you go. And here's today what I'm going to ask you to do as you go. Number one, I want you to start memorizing Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Some of you have it memorized. It's called the Great Commission. It's where our phrase, as you go, comes from. And I want to ask you to just start working on memorizing that. 
You know, put it on a little three-by-five card. When you take a break, work on it. You know, when you're going to work, you know, listen to it, you know, through, through, through your, your phone or whatever. Learn Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Start memorizing. Number two, this next week, read Jonah 2. Very short prayer. It's the only prayer that I ever heard of that's in the belly of a fish. All right? I want you to imagine praying in the belly of a fish. That's Jonah's prayer. Number three, pray for our church. Pray for our elders. Pray for our ministerial staff. Pray for our our servant leaders. Pray for our teachers. Pray for every person who is a part of this church. Pray for the Hendersonville Church of Christ. Please, and add to that, more importantly, praying for the loss of our city and our county. You know, we spend a lot of time praying for a lot of stuff. How often do you pray for the lost? You know, we oftentimes pray for our military to protect us. But you know what? If we prayed for God to convert those who are enemies, we wouldn't need a military to protect us, right? Let's pray for the lost here in Hendersonville and Sumner County. And then finally, here's the question I want you to ask yourself as you leave here today. As you go, ask yourself, are you running from God's call? And my guess is that if you'll just be silent, do some Sabbath, John, listen to God, that perhaps you'll hear God working through His Holy Spirit saying, it's time to quit running. And maybe it's time for you to quit running right now. If it is, why don't you come and let us help you. Let's go, we stand and sing.